0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Why in the World. This is episode seven, and it's a bit of a milestone. This past week, the podcast hit 1,000 downloads, which is really remarkable to me. Um, I just felt a sense of gratitude to all of you who have been listening and subscribing and sharing with your friends who you think might be interested, and would also just wanna invite you to follow the podcast on Instagram at podcast. Um, We post different quotes and excerpts from the podcast there, and also uh, it's a good way to find out when new episodes drop, so be sure to check that out. Well, we are a week away from Memorial Day and are still in the middle of this coronavirus quarantine situation, and I don't know about you guys, but I am exhausted. It is just a trying time of not knowing when it's gonna end or how it's gonna end or what it's gonna be like when we're starting to return to some form of new normal. Um, And I met with my therapist yesterday and she was like, yeah, I think you should take a little bit of time off. It didn't take her too far into our session to get a sense of my own weariness and just the sense of how heavy this time is. And so I was grateful for her, pointing that out, and I'm actually going to do just that this coming week. I'm going to take some time to myself and hopefully do not much other than just letting my heart and mind and soul rest for a little bit. Um, I don't know what you all are individually experiencing, but I hope that you're finding ways to slow yourself down, lower some expectations if necessary, and find ways to rest and recover as well. Um, This is definitely a crazy time that we are living in. Um, In this episode, uh, I sit down with Joe Hull, who is a therapist at my counseling practice, Mindful Counseling GR, and we talk a lot about the idea of connection um, and the need to be fully connected to ourselves before it's possible to connect with others. And so, um, you know, it's a timely episode in that way and was actually recorded weeks before the coronavirus hit. And so um it again, another episode where coronavirus doesn't come up in the actual interview. So maybe that will be a bit of a relief for you as well. Um, but it's kind of a behind the scenes glimpse at two therapists just talking about uh the work we do and why we do it. Uh we touch a little bit on the Enneagram for all you Enneagram fans out there. Um And yeah just want to offer this up and hopefully you find it useful and meaningful so let's get into it you're listening to why in the world a podcast fueled by curiosity with deep dive conversations exploring meaning purpose and why we show up in the world the way we do hosted by psychotherapist Brian Nixon well thanks for coming on Joe hey good to be here yeah well you are uh therapist here at mindful counseling, GR, and I've gotten to know you a little bit, um, on the clinical level that way. Um, but this will be interesting conversation because this will be more about you and about the work that you do, uh, and less about clinical stuff in cases. But, mm-hmm. um, so we'll just dive in and see where it goes. Sounds great. Awesome. Um, I was reading over your bio on our website. And you pose a couple questions in in your bio, and so I thought maybe we could start with your questions for you. Oh, man. How about that? Yeah, I have no <laughs> idea what they are. Okay. <laughs> well, I have them here. The first one says, when was the last time you truly confided in someone?
1: Ooh, man. That's a good question that I ask people. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah. Truly confided in someone. Hmm. Well, this kind of ties into, as I was thinking about why in the world and the fact that I have to figure out what my why is, um, I was thinking a lot about, obviously, what that is. And I came up with connecting as a theme. Hmm. And I think this question really like has a lot to do with that. Um, connecting has been something that I've just automatically gravitated toward in my life since you know, like college years. I didn't know that that's what I was looking for or searching for, but that's definitely what it is looking back. And still today, it's a big theme in my life. So I do have several relationships where I'm looking for that right now. And it's like a thing that I need in my life to feel like I'm doing it right. Mm -hmm. And that I won't be disappointed in it later. So like the last time, literally, um, Hmm. I think it was probably last week or the week before talking to some friends of mine like one or two particular friends. I think we went, uh, a bunch of us met over at a friend's house, and we had some beers and talking about life and talking about being married and having kids and all of that. Mm. And I, and we uh, are pretty intentional about vulnerability there in that space and using that well. Hmm. So, yeah, I think it was about two weeks ago. Yeah, it sounds like a, a good group. Yeah, it really is. Um, it's their... Uh, it's like a small group within my church. I go to like a smaller church here in Grand Rapids called Soma. And so it's me and three other guys. And, uh, yeah, I think that's that smallness of the church really facilitates closer relationships Mm -hmm. and yeah, it's been a big blessing in my life. Yeah. Awesome. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: How, how do you know when you're connected? Like Mm -hmm. if connection is sort of
1: the longing or Mm -hmm. the goal, how do you, how do you just know? Um, I think for me, it's like, a so I'm a very gut oriented person. Mm-hmm. Um, my like thoughts and feelings don't really lead the way, but like, I'm, I've always, for some reason, just trusted my gut and go with that. Um, so I think it's kind of a gut check of, I guess it would be like a little discomfort, mm-hmm. like, I don't think I can really connect with somebody unless it's a little uncomfortable. Huh. Um, like what do you mean by that? I think like, I think it's vulnerability use a different word for it, Okay, but I have to, I think it's like this little part of my mind is telling me that I'm choosing to not present what I know is acceptable, and I'm choosing to present some other content about myself. Um, So I think that's what tells me that I'm being vulnerable and that I'm trying to connect with somebody is when I intentionally am not just doing the thing that I know is like socially acceptable in that space, but I'm giving something else about myself.
0: That's good. Yeah. And how do you feel connected when? You know, like some c- connection to me seems very relational. Seems mm-hmm. like it's uh, not just one directional of I'm going to connect to this person, but connection is sort of a reciprocal felt sense.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm curious what
1: that like. How do you know it for yourself?
0: Um, like when I'm
1: connected to another person, or when they're connected to me. Well. Yeah, both, actually. Mm. Or just when there is connection. I I think, I mean, I think that's a spectrum for sure. You know, like, when you figure out that somebody is interested in connecting or they're somebody who is okay with that kind of vulnerability, um, I think I can kind of sense that they're, well, even just, like, that I offer any kind of vulnerability there, realness, and they respond with some kind of interest or joy or something like that, and then they respond in kind. Mm. So I'm thinking of one particular relationship with a friend of mine that has kind of begun in the last year, six months. Um, I remember the first time we got beers and we talked about something other than, you know, just the surface level work and Mm -hmm. weather and family stuff. Then we started to go into like what it's like to be fathers. Mm. Which Um, is new for you. Which is new for me. Yeah. I have an eight month old. So um congratulations by the uh, way. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so like then I'm kind of thinking I had the sense that that relationship could go there, but I think like me figuring out where it would go was just me kind of offering up some questions to him about his feelings about it, I guess, and which is, you know, you mm-hmm. talk to anybody about feelings and some people are really not comfortable with talking about their emotions mm-hmm. and Turns out this guy was, and I, I think to me this kind of sounds simple, but yeah, talking about feelings about anything is kind of a pretty vulnerable space to go, mm-hmm. and uh I find it really important to talk about mine um and that kind of leads me off on this other direction of things I've learned about myself through the enneagram
2: mm-hmm.
1: um and I know you know the Enneagram, so I do, yeah um. But yeah, that's been really eye opening for me. I learned, I came across that about two years ago and it's been instrumental in learning about myself as a nine and, uh, in that system and that, that archetype has taught me that I'm, uh, well, one of the things that really taught me is how little I value taking up space Hmm. and I really like can lose myself and not really value my own content myself enough to share it to put it into words and to share it with another person um which is actually something that is a reason i wanted to do this podcast is Hmm. me taking up space and literally filling up minutes of your podcast with just me yeah which sounded like a challenge and also something that is really exciting
0: Hmm. pushing
1: your edge a bit yep
0: Hmm. yeah that's great so the enneagram like it's it's uh all over the place now like i'm mm-hmm. curious how did you come across it what was like most meaningful to you how is mm-hmm. it how has it been helpful
1: yeah um well i heard i've heard about it for years and i just rejected it cuz i'm mm-hmm. not a huge fan of personality profiles like i took a ton of them in college and different places I've worked and I've just been really unimpressed. I'm like, okay, right. I'm a golden retriever or (laughs) (laughs) I'm this, this other, like four letter, like acronym or whatever. And I just, like, I studied it and it's interesting and it's fun to talk about, but there was never a moment where I found in a test like that, like, wow, like that's something like deeply true about me that I didn't know before. Hmm. Um, And that really explains a pattern I have that I couldn't put words to before. Um, but for some reason, like two years ago, um, my wife and I were just getting into this community we're now a part of that our church here in GR, um, and they were way into it. Hmm. And so I'm like, okay, I'm getting into this community. I'll give it a shot. I'll learn a little bit about it. Um. And I like figured out like which one I identify with most and started learning about it. And it was kind of mind blowing. So i I'm mm-hmm. like, this is not like other personality profiles that are really simple and you can see how they created it and the different categories they chose. Yeah. Enneagram to me sounds it feels like a little bit more mystical. Like, I don't, it doesn't seem like super Western and like built in a factory or by these people sitting around a table. Yeah. It seems like there's just more to it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I tend to identify m- more with like a nine pattern as well, which is uh, the peacemaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I similarly have historically been super resistant to personality typing tests and, you know, are you Bart Simpson or are you a golden retriever <laughs> or are you, you know, like you said, all the things you just mentioned. The thing that eventually caught my curiosity about the Enneagram or my interest about it was kind of this moment of realizing like the Enneagram feels like a starting place, Mm. whereas all the others felt like an ending point, Mm. you know, like we're going to figure out your personality and now you live in that box and that's who you are. And that never felt right to me. Um, the Enneagram felt like it was saying something along the lines of like, everybody's already in a box. So let's figure out what box you're in so that you can transcend it and, It's like a starting point to this path of connecting with a more authentic and more integrated part of you. It's not the ending point. It's just a starting point.
1: I would definitely agree with that. Um, The way I present it to when I do use it in my work here at Mindful with my clients, I always these days I preface it with saying that um, I only use this to give people language to about themselves, like structure Here's like this firm like foundation that you can use to just kind of stand on and get your footing with mm-hmm. understanding more about yourself. Um, and there's these nine different archetypes that tell you possible ways that people live their lives mm-hmm. in the world. Um, but I kind of break down all the rules of it and say like, yeah, you don't have to follow all the rules and be like totally in one camp and then follow all the rules of, yeah, when you're in stress, you go to this number and in- mm-hmm. insecurity, you go to another. That can be helpful, mm-hmm. but I give people the freedom to say like, this stops being helpful as soon as you feel like trapped in it, yeah. Or when you start finding yourself saying like, well, it says I should be like this, so I feel like I need to find the way that I am like that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's for me, it's like, yeah, definitely a starting point. Yeah. I heard someone say, or maybe I read it um, a couple months ago, that it stops being helpful. Like, it's uh, the Enneagram is good for a ways when you're starting to learn about yourself and it stops being helpful. As soon as you have like a solid idea, like in a real knowledge about yourself, mm. as soon as you have that foundation, then you've kind of passed what it can do for you. Mm-hmm. And your work is more about understanding and building on that foundation.
0: Yeah. I like that. I think any, anytime we like over identify with a system or a label we're reducing the complexity of what it means to be a human and a, you know, like there's always moving parts, there's always a deepening complexity. And so, um, yeah, I, I like what you said, because I feel like when it becomes an end point, then for me, I'm like, well, that's where curiosity dies. And that's where the depth stops. And, you know, I don't really believe that we ever stop evolving as humans. And so I'm always a little leery when there's like a, an end point to any system, you know, like if the system is not helping you dive in deeper to who you are and how you show up in the world and what has led you to show up in the world that way, um, and sort of ushering you beyond itself as a system, then, you know, I'm, I have a little red flag around that.
1: I think, yeah, there's, Like I said, I'm a gut person, and Mm -hmm. even as you were saying that, I was imagining different conversations I've had and communities I've kind of been next to or a part of that have just kind of made my gut, like, seize up a little bit of, Mm -hmm. like, I'm not comfortable here. Yeah. And, yeah, it had a lot to do with feelings like that of there's a pretty rigid idea of what is the right way of being or the right point of view to have or... Um, especially when those rigid systems are tied to each other, Mm. like where it, you can't be a Christian unless you have this political point of view Mm
2: -hmm. or you
1: can't really be from this neighborhood unless you have this political point of view or you, I don't know, like to engage in certain school programs Mm and at your local middle school, like that rigidity is just, I find myself really uncomfortable when I have to fit into a mold or be judged for it. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, I think I like the words you used for it. Like, that's where curiosity dies. Mm -hmm. That's when you stop exploring yourself, like trying to find what's actually true of you and other people. And you Mm -hmm. just start kind of turning your brain off and falling asleep. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, it feels like the rigidity piece feels right on to me. Like, where there's that level of rigidity, it's almost like foreclosing on meaning. Mm. you know and and really, I think even developmentally it's a very adolescent mindset you mm. know it's very fixed it's very concrete it's it doesn't have the ability to to have complexity and and hold two opposites intention mm-hmm. um, and and so I think you, you, what you just said like you see it in our religious systems, you see it in our political systems, you see it everywhere where there's like, you're either this or you're that. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, that doesn't, doesn't usually go anywhere healthy. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not hard to look around at everything going on in in our world and especially in this country on that level and see like, we, we are an ill people Mm -hmm. in that way. Um, And that there's a lot of space to integrate complexities and, um, and there needs to be more voices out there inviting that I think
2: mm,
1: yeah I believe that deeply, I mm. would say,
0: yeah, well, so in that regard i'm I'm glad you're a therapist,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah, me too, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm glad I got here. I definitely did not know I wanted to be a therapist when I was eighteen, or I think even like twenty two huh so
0: what's the backstory there how did, when did you know you wanted to be a therapist
1: um well i yeah, going through well, in high school, like um growing up. I always wanted to be an architect actually. My grandpa was an architect here in Grand Rapids and he was really successful and um he was like this great figure in my eyes growing up of like successful as a man, as a like a provider for his family. My grandma stayed at home with five kids and so yeah. like he did this he did it, you know. He was like successful in all these different ways and had this loving family and Um, architecture was like, I can get behind that. There's like creativity, design, and also like some like structural, like mathematics. I can do that. Mm -hmm. Um, But then, and you know, at that level, I I didn't even process it on that level. I think it was just like, cool, I'll do that. It's a good idea. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I I started, uh, I got into a church at 16 that I actually like felt seen and known. And that was really life changing for me at that point. Sixteen I don't I had not had that experience yet of being really seen. Hmm. Um and then I started uh well like I had a small group, so like a more tightly knit group of guys my age and a leader who really did more seeing and like holding space for me and um I got a taste of what that was like to lead a group as a junior or senior of hmm. middle schoolers and like have this uh, role of leading these kids and like facilitating their own uh, experience of connecting with each other. and um, that was something that just really changed my life. and I said, "Wow, like I can't imagine not doing this now." Mm-hmm. And so I did this huge turn and I um, instead of going for architecture, I went for a youth ministry with um, and I had no idea where I wanted to go. I, I knew I wanted to work with kids with youth. Mm-hmm Um, because that's the only thing I had done at that point that was Uh really life-giving. So I did a youth ministry degree in college. I went to the Moody Bible Institute for that, um, which is kind of like this institute that uh, has like a— it fits a lot of different parts of the Christian faith that Moody does. so I went there, that's in Chicago and also Spokane, Washington. I bounced between those places. They have a campus in Spokane as well. Yeah. I was there for a year and a half, Okay, which was awesome. Hmm. Um, got to experience a little bit of the West coast life, which yeah. still holds a dear place in my heart.
0: Yeah. it's another thing we have in common.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I went uh, there to there and then afterwards I went uh, directly from graduating there to work at a boarding school in Condor uh, in Germany called the Black Forest Academy. Um, Cause I didn't want to do the youth pastor thing. Mm-hmm. I was really turned off by the idea of only getting to actually be with the kids I was working with on like one evening a week and then Sunday mornings. Mm-hmm. I was like, nope, can't do that. Um, but whereas this uh, program over in Germany, you're with them pretty much all the time that they're not in school okay. and I'm like, oh, okay, that's like some real time like connecting and like forming relationships. That sounds awesome. Um, so I did that and I went there. Was and, that
0: kind of like a, an RA on a dorm would be something okay, like exactly. that? Exactly. Okay. Yeah.
1: That was my role for the first year. Um, and then after that I taught some in the school and I was a basketball coach and I was a chaplain briefly. Um, I did all these different roles because that's what you do in a really small boarding school internationally is mm-hmm. you do whatever the heck you need to do. Yeah. Um, so, and that was an incredible experience because um, that was just this time when I got to interact with all these different cultures because these kids are coming from all, literally all over the world mm-hmm. have incredible experiences of what it was like growing up for them. Mm-hmm. And they're all third culture kids which um, which means they were like born or are like ethnically like one from one place but then they grow up in a second location or they move spend a significant part of their childhood in another location um, so that they don't really know which place they're from they're kind of a mixture of the two okay um, and that's the third culture is this blend between the two hmm. and that's where pretty much every single one of our kids was that okay um, so identity is a huge thing like who am I how do I fit in um, so that was, was
0: good prep work for becoming a therapist.
1: Yeah, it was definitely increased my curiosity a lot because you could not put these kids into a box mm-hmm. um, or their parents or the people you were working with. It was very diverse. Um, so I loved that. But while there, I really figured out that it, I did not want to do just work with kids, with youth. Um, I didn't want to do, like, generally helping work where I was supporting people and like helping people but in a general way something about me really needed to like a depth of connection Mm -hmm. with someone and engagement with a human soul if Mm -hmm. you would Mm -hmm. I wanted to yeah get deeper into what a person needs to thrive in the world and go deeper in my own understanding of that and uh, yeah like if I could find a way of doing that as my job like that was the dream for me Hmm. coming out of that experience of doing all these different kinds of jobs okay so yeah so then I came back and I had to pick which counseling degree because I knew it was some kind of counseling or therapy work Mm -hmm. I landed on MSW um, because it's the it would allow me to do the most different kinds of work Uh Um, because yeah I didn't want to be like pigeonholed into something and find out that it wasn't really Mm life-giving and so I did that. Had my first job out of school, um, working with some like uh, like lower income like um, families here in Grand Rapids, and that was really challenging work for me. I got to um, really like do increase my curiosity a lot more and like understand how very different people live, like even here in my hometown of Grand mm-hmm. Rapids, which was also really eye opening.
0: So again, not putting people in a box.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was a really powerful experience for me too, because I grew up here and I had no idea the kinds of lives people live and the kind of challenges they have here in my own hometown, Mm -hmm. not across in Germany or Italy or Spain or
0: where you would expect it to be different.
1: Yeah. Or even like, like impoverished parts of our country, but like in my own backyard, in my own city. Right. Um. So another learning experience. And then I found my way here through a friend of mine offering me like an interview here. Hmm. And uh, that's been life changing like on a huge way because I got to, and you obviously know this Brian, but with you, I got this training, this like offer to do this work in a way that was really very much valued relationships and like the connection between therapist and client. Mm -hmm. And, put this, um, not weight of responsibility, but kind of like on the therapist to be aware of what he or she is bringing into the room Mm -hmm. um, and not just, I don't know, sit there and do the medical model of being in control and knowing what to do and what to say at any given moment, um, which, I'm always pulled to do. And oftentimes my clients want me to do that for them because it's easier. We know how to do that, but it's just been, I've had a lot of curiosity and intrigue since coming here about learning more and more about the complexity and depth available when you really tune into more dynamics of what's happening in the room
0: relationally. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. It makes me think of, um, you know, you mentioned that relational model of, of working with our clients. And um, I, I remember when that really took root in me was in grad school, and we had to read um, I and Thou by Martin Buber, who was um, sort of a Jewish philosopher and um, probably a bit of a mystic. Mm. Um, but in that book, he said that every means is an obstacle and only where means disintegrate do encounters occur mm. and there was this sense of like it's not just about learning tools and techniques to fix symptoms and problems it's like the thing that's actually healing is an authentic encounter an authentic relationship an authentic presence um which is so lacking for so many of us and mm. um and so that that really hit home for me in that way. And so it's really fun to hear you describe that as your experience
1: here as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's, I can look back across my story and see that that, that hearing it put that way and like seeing it done here is just, I was able to see a new way of understanding what I have already lived mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh yeah, that is what was so meaningful to me about these different seasons of my life or about this one particular relationship. And, um, then just kind of my understanding of it expanding over time with thinking about how formative that is for everyone, Mm -hmm. that connection and getting to know themselves and other, another person in the context of a relationship that's safe and attuned. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. There's something about, having to surrender into the space with mm. our clients versus going in with control and an idea of exactly where the therapy's gonna go, mm. exactly what tools or techniques need to be used or what homework needs to be given. And just really settling into that sort of curious space of like, what the hell is going on between us? What What's taking shape as mm. your unconscious and my unconscious start to dance together Um, and then we start to repeat old patterns that are partially mine and partially yours, but kind of also this third mix in the middle. Mm Um, and, and there's no way to fully know that until you're in the relationship and in the connection as you were talking about earlier. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's really good.
1: Such a, it's such a deeply challenging way of practicing. Even as you were just saying that of, yeah, what it's like to, like, sink into this mm-hmm. moment to this of this connection, the word that came to mind was just terrifying.
2: Mm-hmm. Cause it, it is at times.
1: It's such a vulnerable thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And to be the one that's, like, choosing it is terrifying. But, I mean, even more so for the client who has to, not has to, but chooses to trust you mm-hmm. with that, with leading into that depth of connection and, and curiosity and, like, attention.
0: Yeah. That's so good. Mm-hmm. Hm. What would you, so you've been practicing here now for.
1: A little over two years. Yeah, a
0: little over two years. And I'm curious to know, like as a newer therapist in that way, um, what, what has been really the most surprising or most challenging part of your own development as, a, as a therapist?
2: Hmm.
1: The thing that pops into my mind first for most surprising or challenging is how, if you're paying attention to this work and like what's really happening in the room, how uncomfortable it is to continue to grow that way. Mm-hmm. Cause I mean, two years at a job, at most jobs, you'd have a pretty good idea of what you're doing. Yeah. You'd be pretty comfortable. Um, I mean, I just talking to my clients or, like, friends, like, yeah, like, you get out of that six months to a year range, you start getting pretty comfortable in what you're doing. Um, but I think what makes me really love and appreciate this work is that two years in, it's almost, like, frustratingly uncomfortable because I'm just learning new ways that I show up in session in a way that's um, selfish or... Um, I mean, I guess there's always some amount of selfishness, meaning like meeting my own needs. That's kind of the mm-hmm. deal is I have to look at the ways that I'm not my ideal self Yeah. with clients or not the perfect like version of myself that I would like to think I am.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have to start to discover and integrate our own shadows, mm-hmm. which is, is challenging work and, yeah. and doesn't always feel good to discover certain things about ourselves that we didn't want to know we're in there or that sort of thing. But then to realize like it's through that, that the, that sort of authentic encounter can occur.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly why the shadow. Yeah. So I think that's the, the most challenging and surprising part is I think I would have assumed, I did assume that a couple of years into this job I would have a lot of things figured out and I, I have learned a lot. Um, learned a lot about how I do my work and how I present myself in session. But uh, yeah, I just, I didn't think I would it would be this uncomfortable two years in.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's in a great way though. I will say that it's uncomfortable yeah. in a great way.
0: Yeah, and I think it's uncomfortable because it's connection. Mm-hmm. You know, because it requires an authenticity on the part of you as the therapist, and uh, on the part of the clients who come to see you, um, and we're so programmed to to act in certain ways socially, or you know we kind of know what the world needs and wants and expects from us, and we I think that's the thing that we master is how to how to do those things. Mm. Um, and there's a way that I think being a therapist in this way is terrifying because. Every time you sit down with another human being, you're having to surrender to that moment and have like a sense of, I don't know what's going to happen. I know how to sit in my chair and I know how to do what I know how to do, but I also need to hold that loosely to see like what else is happening. Mm. And it's just, it's, it's challenging. It's fun. I mean, I'm, you know, like 12 or, well, probably longer than that, 13 or 14 years into this and it's it's not any less challenging now, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's, it's very dynamic in that way. It's moving, which takes me back to what you were saying about wanting to be an architect Mm -hmm. in the beginning. Um, and the thought that popped up for me around that was like an architect constructs something and puts it together. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of therapy is about that. It's about constructing and putting together. Like that's kind of what we're trained to do often like if there's this cluster of symptoms then this is the these are the tools you need to put put that back together in a way that's less problematic um but i think working relationally as we're talking about is deconstructive in a way like you have to be willing to to have parts of yourself that you think you know be deconstructed as you sit with the other mm-hmm. you know and and have that encounter with them and it's So it's interesting to kind of see the, like where you are now versus where you thought you were going, like this idea of, of being one who constructs versus one who's willing to deconstruct and be deconstructed.
1: Mm. Yeah. As I was thinking about that, that just really, um, made me think about the way that, like you were saying, how we automatically adjust to the people we're around Mm -hmm. socially. Um, I think that is exactly where the discomfort is, is that as a, what I've learned about myself, being a nine, and being just the kind of personality I am uniquely. I am like, there's a lot of me that's kind of like a people pleaser, mm-hmm. um, like a certain brand of people pleaser. I'm like like hyper observant, always have been of like, what a person's feeling and what they want from me and what, what would make them comfortable mm-hmm. and like me. A peacemaker. Peacemaker, yeah. And uh, I think that is what one of the most like, taxing parts of this kind of work is that I have to be aware of that and hold all of that of like, yeah, I know exactly what you want me to do right now. Mm -hmm. Like this person wants me to tell them what to do and run this uh, session like a doctor would and like ask you all these different questions and all you have to do is say, answer them and you don't really have to show up in the room Mm -hmm. or another person wants me to like only give them compassion but not challenge them at all, Mm -hmm. or like really see them or these other parts of the equation. Right. And this kind of work challenges me to not just do what they are asking me implicitly to do, but uh, one way of doing it would be like observing and using that third space we talk about to say, man, I noticed that I want to do this with you right now, or like, and then draw their attention to this uncomfortable pattern that some part of them knew that they were doing, but. Then I have to like bear their contempt for like, what the hell? Like, mm-hmm. why don't you just go along with this? Why
0: aren't you just coaching me through this yeah. thing?
1: Why can't you fit this role that I'm really comfortable with? Mm-hmm. And then I have to do exactly what my personality does not want to do. It's create tension and conflict. Mm-hmm. But then that's exactly what I think is most healing for the relationship and for my clients, you know, depending on the situation and the day. Absolutely. But, yeah. I think bearing that contempt for what the hell are you doing, Joe?
0: Yeah.
1: You know what I want you to do right now. Why aren't you doing it?
0: It's not fun when people are mad at you.
1: No, it's not.
0: Mm. And that, uh, you know, that's not happening all the time either. Like it's, Mm. it's nuanced. You know, there's times where that happens. There's times where there's surprise and delight. And, Mm. um, but in order to get to any of those deeper places, you know, again, it's like that need to surrender to like, what? what the hell's going on here? Mm-hmm. What are we doing? And I think this way of working really honors the reality that we all have an unconscious, meaning a part of ourselves that we're not aware of, Like, but it's deeply embedded in our own attachment styles, our own early childhood experiences, and things that were reinforced through our life. And I think a thing that doesn't get talked about enough in therapy circles is that those those same patterns get repeated between client and therapist. Like, mm-hmm. you know, wherever you go, there you are. And so, you know, it's easy to settle in and be like, okay, I can coach you through this. I can tell you what to do and how to live your life and how to fix your problems. And to some, on some level, that sort of works.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, like people can feel a little bit better from that. And so it's not all bad in that way, but there also has to be this capacity to hold on to that curiosity about if I'm doing that, what else is also happening, you know, Mm -hmm. like, um, and what role am I as the therapist in, in their life symbolically? Um, That if I'm just telling them what to do, is that similar to their, you know, domineering dad or, you know, this other authority figure in their life who always had the right answers for them? Um, Because if if that's going on, then that's the thing that actually needs to be worked through. You know, not not just like you're struggling with, you know, pick a label, anxiety. And so the the tool for anxiety is do this breathing technique and you'll feel better mm-hmm. or anything like that. But it's it's like, it's interesting that you are coming here to me and so quickly giving me all of your power to tell you how to live your life. Mm-hmm. And that's similar to how you've done it in this season of your life, in this part of your story, and in ways you've told me hasn't served you well and hasn't worked, Mm -hmm. and now we're doing it. Mm -hmm. And a willingness as the therapist to kind of see that and see that now I'm in that role. Mm -hmm. And we can make that unconscious pattern conscious between us, and the two of us can work that through.
1: Mm. What a more powerful way of addressing that moment. Yeah. Yeah, and yet so hard to pull yourself away from that automatic, like, I know what to do, Mm -hmm. I know, like, this is technically like a correct quotation marks Mm -hmm. way of addressing this problem. Right. So, yeah, I can be the good therapist. They can like me by telling them this technique I know works. Mm -hmm. Or I could be curious and tune in deeper and maybe surprise this client, maybe like frustrate them by not giving them what they think they like wanted when they came in here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think just that aspect of... Choosing another path is what is intriguing to me, and also challenging. And the reason why this has kept my curiosity and attention like so firmly for these two years is I always, I feel like there's so much left to learn and explore, and for myself as a therapist, like mm-hmm. I've, there's so much more. Yeah, which is exciting.
0: It is. Life is ever unfolding. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's so good. Um. I had another thought a second ago about you, you mentioning that you're very attuned to what other people are feeling, thinking, what Mm -hmm. emotions are present, what needs need to be met, Mm. which I don't know, took me back to like, where did that come from? Mm -hmm. You know, like what's, what's your backstory around that? Like what role did you play in your family growing up? And
1: yeah. Yeah. Um, I have I spent some time thinking about that and honestly when I think back to like so I'm I grew up one of six kids here in Grand Rapids Um, mom and dad are still together Um, we're all the way through childhood Um, what number are you I'm three of six okay middle child Mm -hmm. but then I also have these interesting like dynamics of feeling like the oldest of my younger siblings sometimes Okay. Because um, the older two s- siblings were like very independent and doing their own things. And like I spent a lot of time, I think, and I was kind of close to those younger siblings. So I have like a little bit of oldest in me and a little bit of middle child. I don't think I have any youngest in me. And hmm. There's no part of me that's entertainer or mascot or anything like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, how did that attunement happen? I think it's, like part of me has just always been. kind of introverted and like not super outgoing or social which just lends itself in especially in the context of a big family Mm -hmm. um, like to just observing like there's a lot happening around me all the time and I think I was just always kind of curious about what's going on here like where's all this energy going Mm -hmm. and why and is it predictable Mm -hmm. and like how do I keep myself safe and get my own needs met. In the context of all this stuff happening, Mm -hmm. if you want to like use Enneagram language, like the nine has the least energy of all the numbers Mm -hmm. or like one of the least. Um, and I can kind of see how that would play into it of like, just like, I need to know the lay of the land. I need to observe what's happening around me. If I'm going to be able to get my needs met and Mm -hmm. find real connection, like, um, not just be like totally left out or left behind and mm-hmm. figure out ways of engaging that work for me because I'm different than a lot of the personalities I'm in the middle of. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, I, there's a lot of dynamics there in my yeah. childhood. And then there's one side of me that's like, as I look back, I have no idea what it was like for me to, feel, to be there because I grew up for so much of my life just not at all being aware of my own experience. Hmm. there's another um, that's another piece of the nine like really not like being aware of yourself and being hyper aware of everybody else Mm -hmm. so there's a big part of my childhood I look back and there's just like this kind of question mark or like void or space of like what was I feeling about it all yeah because I don't think I was ever like asked that question as a kid of like what does this all mean to you how are you feeling Hmm which maybe is why I ask that question all the time as, as, as an adult. Yeah, probably is. Yeah. Hmm.
0: Well, what are you feeling about it now as you think about it?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, it's kind of sad to look back and think about like those years, many formative years as like not really being in touch with my own emotional experience. And I think maybe like with my own therapy growing forward, maybe I'll somehow get in touch with what that was like for me mm-hmm. again. Um, but, I mean, I, it's really life giving for me now to learn in steps and like seasons to get more in touch with my experience as an adult in the present.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so it's kind of like there's the sadness about like, yeah, that, that was my experience. And there's a, like a little bit of feeling of like being lonely or detached in mm-hmm. the middle of this big family. Yeah. And I was loved and I was, but I just didn't really feel it like I was not a very like not in touch with what I was feeling or the meaning there. Hmm. Um so yeah, I think there's there's but there's also that fogginess if I can't really get in touch with that feeling. Mhm.
0: Yeah. I can relate to that for sure.
2: Mhm. Hm.
0: I'm I'm curious to know what your family thought when you told them I'm going to go to school and be a therapist. <laughs> um
1: I I don't know. I've gotten mixed mixed reviews. <laughs> Um, I think my family is very supportive. Like nobody has ever like given me crap for it overtly or actually had a problem with anything I've done. Honestly, they've been very supportive in a lot of choices I've made, but, um, yeah, like I, I mean, nobody ever pushed me to go that way. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I don't think it's something that people expected. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm curious but I think that's just a part of my family dynamic that if somebody was uncomfortable with it, they wouldn't say it Hmm. out loud. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, now you have me curious. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. Yeah.
0: It takes me to a a story. Um, I remember when I first started grad school, I have a friend, and it was one of her parents. I think it was her mom who said to me, like, why are you going into that field? Like everybody who's in psychology or in going into be a therapist is just working out all their own crap and not not really doing anything helpful basically was her message. Mm. And I had like a, a bit of a moment of clarity at that point when I just, I think I said back to her, I was like, everybody's doing that regardless of what job they're going into. We're all trying to work out our own crap, but
1: therapists are just acknowledging that. <laughs> or some therapists do. Yeah, some, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Because that's also true, not every therapist is doing their own work.
1: Yeah, or realizing that they're doing their own work passively through their clients. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm. there's definitely, I think I can see the lines in my own life pretty clearly of like, being being there, I was, like, had a family that was loving and there, but there was that absence of, like, felt connection. Mm-hmm. And I think, and here I'm finding myself wanting to take all the blame for it and mm. say it's all my fault. They were wonderful. There's no, no fault in any of them. It's all <laughs> me. Okay, I'll work that out in my own therapy. <laughs> but, um, yeah, um, but here I am, like, spending my adult years trying to, like, find connection and feel connection and help other people, like understand their connections and their place in the world and connect deeply to it. Mm. So doing my own work. Here. Yeah.
0: Which sounds like there's, in order to connect with others, you need to deeply connect with yourself.
1: Yeah, I do believe that. Yeah. Well, even just in the way you were just saying it of everyone's doing their own work, whether you know it or not. Mm-hmm. And so it's, uh, it's kind of scary for me to think that if I tuned out and just did what felt right as a therapist you know I met my own needs without really examining them it's kind of scary to think of like giving my clients like that kind of I don't know I don't know, like lower grade product of their time with me mm-hmm. of just kind of meeting my own needs without even knowing how I'm doing that or how mm-hmm. I'm making it all about me subconsciously yeah yeah there's just something that really pulls me into this desire to be more aware because then i, I think i get to know myself deeper mm-hmm. by tuning into that and then also just the work with that client is ch- so much changed when i'm tuned in and i can sometimes bring attention to the fact that there's something happening with me here and that it's affecting them in the room
2: mm-hmm.
1: i think that's really transformative when clients get to see me as their therapist admit that there's stuff happening with me and my attention and Um, that I'm picking up from them or that I even brought in Mm -hmm. to the room just from my own life that's affecting them and I can actually talk about it without shame or like guilt, but just say, yeah, look, here it is and this is happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's something about that that's just like so... It's like a pull of gravity. I'm like, yeah, that's definitely 100% what I want to do. Yeah, That's where the value is, the work is. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and it's the difference between intentionally and consciously doing our own work in the way that you're talking about, like to say, I, there's always something going on for us. I'm a subjective human. Mm -hmm. And so there's of course going to be my own stuff going on at different times and, um, versus somebody who's working their stuff out by projecting it onto their client and then trying to fix it out there versus like, doing a deep dive into their own inner space and going, mm-hmm. what's going on in here? Yeah. Um, which I th- is why I think it's just absolutely critical for us in this field specifically to be willing to do our own work, be willing to go to our own therapist, take our own medicine essentially, and, mm-hmm. um, get to know our own inner landscape in that way.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah. It's a very different kind of job,
2: Mm-hmm.
1: you know, yeah, that's, uh, It's so easy to compare it to doctors, like medical professionals, because so many people see us as very related. Mm -hmm. And yet you just cannot have the same boundaries with that work. It would just, they don't line up. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess a doctor needs to see his own doctor, but. Right. Yeah.
0: It's functioning on a much different level. Like when you're dealing with the physical side of things or a broken ankle or something like that, like Mm -hmm. you kind of want the doctor to know exactly what to do yeah um, but I think when you're dealing with matters of you know our our depths and our soul or whatever, things along those lines and things on in terms of our own psychology and our own emotional experience, like it's not as it's not as concrete and fixed as, as something like a broken ankle would be
1: yeah yeah, I think there's just way too much of um, people choosing to not acknowledge the unknown and just to say, no, this is known. This is what it is. Mm-hmm. Like I'll just fit our experience into this box and we can label it as this. And we don't have to wonder about it or feel like scared of the unknown. Mm-hmm. So here it is. Yeah. Um, and yet yeah, if we do that as therapists in that space, that it's such a loss of what could potentially be the space where they don't have to do that. Mm and We can hold that space of curiosity and not knowing, which is sometimes very uncomfortable and terrifying. But if not there, where else?
0: Right. Yeah, well said. It makes me think of my favorite quote by Carl Jung, where he says that until you make the unconscious conscious, it will rule your life and you will call it fate.
1: Ooh, that's good. Oh.
0: And so that thought of like, if I can eliminate the mystery in my life, if I can eliminate the unknown and claim to know it, then I sort of feel more safe, but it's also sort of a delusional position to take because you can never eliminate all mystery and all unknown. And so it seems like that's, that's the work is like, how do I stay open to what I don't yet know?
2: hmm.
1: Yeah and that's the discomfort that I was talking about Mm -hmm. and yet it's like so much better than like a false comfort because there's always I think that part of me has just been awakened to that falseness to Mm -hmm. that comfort Mm -hmm. of if I find myself so sure of how I'm living my life and so sure that it's right for me to make these different decisions or calls about the way I'm showing up with people there's something wrong there because Mm -hmm. there's no way I could be that sure you know yeah. that much of the time
0: if at very least there's something worth tuning into Mhm.
1: yeah yeah that's another part of the what i've learned about myself as being a nine like the, a lot of the books the literature refer to uh the nine's unhealthy pattern is as falling asleep hmm. and that just struck me really deep when i read that is because i could that just really fits with my experience of like pretty much most of my 20s like all my 20s a lot of it um of just being asleep and even younger life to like I was living I was going through the motions and I you could even say it was successful like got through high school and college and went on to other jobs and met people and formed friends but there was an aspect where I was always asleep Hmm. to myself and to my dreams, my desires, my feelings, like what was going on for me? What did I want? Like, how was I impacted? Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know if that in that time I ever, I mean, obviously I did sometimes, but I don't know if I ever during those years really showed up with another person and said, I want this, mm-hmm. like, like I, this is who I am or this is how I feel. and. Created conflict or tension because of something that was within me. Mm. And so, for all these years, I just could identify that I was pretty much asleep. I, I would go with the flow. Kind of, yeah, I could navigate my life and get myself more comfort or a little better situation. But
0: after you've taken care of everyone else.
1: Yeah. And yeah, there was just so much I wouldn't let myself do or just took off the table because it would create too much tension or discomfort, or there was too much ambiguity there, or the question marks were too big, there's too much unknown. Mm -hmm. And yet, there's a part of me that just didn't get to live during those years, Mm -hmm. just because I was asleep. Mm -hmm. And that's the terrifying thing about it for me, is like when you're sleeping, it feels like I've overslept, Mm -hmm. like for years. And the thought of sleeping now, with where I'm at in my life, and the relationships I have, and Like the awareness I do have now of like my dreams, my goals for my life, the way I want to impact people and the way, the kind of life I want to live just for myself, the idea of falling asleep, slipping back into sleep and then waking up at 55 or something Mm -hmm. or never waking up is just, nope, I got to figure out a way of not doing that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think I said something very similar to that in the first podcast episode. Hmm. Um, around this idea of, like, one of the driving motivations for me is I just have this, I guess it's a fear of getting towards the end of my life and looking back and going, what was that? Mm -hmm. Like, I wasn't ever fully in my own life. Yep. Um, And that's, that's a nightmare to me to think about that, like the amount of regret and the amount of, sort of longing for that time back, which is now, right? Like it's where we're at in this moment. Like we have a chance to lean in and to begin to wake up to ourselves and, Mm. and all of that so that when we get to that point, we can exhale and go, that was, that was actually a good life.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah. There's and in that, even for me, I feel the same, like very similar, but it's a very like relational, way of experiencing it I think of like the people around me mm-hmm. the people who are closest to me and have expectations or desires for like what they want my presence to look like like my wife and my daughter mm-hmm. and even like my brothers or like my good friends or I don't want to leave my sisters out them mm-hmm. too but um yeah like I just picture them kind of, like, existing, walking alongside me throughout my life, saying, like, Joe could show up in this way. He could take up Mm -hmm. this space. He could be this kind of way for me. But then thinking it's just this huge sadness to think about that happening for the course of years and then me just never showing up in that way, Mm -hmm. never, like, acknowledging how important they are to me or never just even, like, Showing who I am as a person in a deep way mm-hmm. to them, them never getting to see that. Yeah, and there, there's a part of me also that would really be sad at that loss, not just other people.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, I think that's how I experience that same kind of fear. Mm-hmm. I I know that could happen because I've seen it happen already in my life. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, just the way that we've been talking about therapy. I imagine for people listening might be different than what they would expect. Like mm-hmm. maybe they would expect more of a medical model approach where, um, it's like, I'll tell you what's wrong with me. You tell me how to fix it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but I'm, I'm wondering like, if there are people listening and their thoughts are get, like their curiosity about this other way of doing the work, is starting to get peaked for them of like, maybe there is something deeper. Maybe there is something beyond just managing my symptoms Mm -hmm. or maybe my symptoms are messengers trying to get my attention in some other way. Um, and they're hearing you talk. I I would love to hear you talk a little bit about like who, what types of clients tend to be a good fit for you?
2: Hmm.
1: Uh, I think, I just really enjoy working and like it's, I enjoy working with so many different types of people in different situations, but I think some of the most rich work that I get to do with people is when they find their way to a place of curiosity about their own life Mm -hmm. and just like their eyes are kind of opened to the depth and breadth of meaning that's in their life already Mm -hmm. when we get to a place uh, my client and I of being able to be curious about all the small things happening in their life about feelings that pop up and patterns that are showing up and saying like yeah like you're repeating yourself all the time Mm -hmm. and every piece of your life like how you grew up relationships with family like significant life events Um, your personality and how it works in your family system or your extended family, Mm -hmm. generational things, like it's all showing up in your life in the present. It's Mm -hmm. all here. And so when I get to the place where my client is able to see it and be curious about it, um, we can just do such great work of Mm -hmm. connecting the dots and seeing that their life is filled with meaning and connections um, and it's all related to each other. Hmm. to the other pieces um, I know I've talked a lot about um, like my own journey and how I'm a person of faith mm-hmm. um, but it's definitely not the only kind of people I will, I enjoy working with hmm. um, really like the only thing that I like need to have in, in a client uh, is some budding, piece of curiosity about who they are and what the meaning of their experiences is Mm -hmm. like why is this showing up in my life like what's the reason where is this coming from Mm -hmm. um and we can work with that
0: Mm -hmm. that's great and so you're you're here at mindful counseling gr and practicing Mm -hmm. in grand rapids so Mm -hmm. if people want to reach out to you they can do that through our website
1: definitely Um,
0: but other than that just This has been great.
1: This has been great. Thanks for having me on, Brian. Yeah, thanks for coming on.
0: Well, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed the episode and hope that you found something in there that deepened your own curiosity about yourself and the connections you have in your life, both with others and maybe during this coronavirus situation, more importantly, the connection you have with yourself. May you explore your own depths. And come out on the other side of this feeling
2: more connected in every way. Peace.